Thank you, Dom. Morning, all. So if you could grab open your Bibles, flip open your Bible apps, if you're that way inclined, and turn with me to John chapter 6. We'll be reading from verses, around verses 35 and spending most of our time there this morning. Now, as a church, we have been going through a series centering in on who Jesus is. So far in the series, we've looked at how Jesus is our hope, how he is our life and our truth. We've also been reminded about how Jesus is our rescuer. He is our advocate. And as Darren mentioned last week, he is our friend as well. And this week, I get the absolute privilege of wrapping up this sermon series by focusing in not so much who Jesus is, but actually more on his heart, his very character and how he relates to us. Now, a little bit about me. When I was a student, when I finished university, I struggled to work out what I wanted to do with the rest of my life. What should I do as a career? And for a while, I thought, you know what? I'll go down the sales path, a career in sales. That seems like fun. And I applied to several jobs, had a couple of interviews, and I realised actually sales wasn't for me. The moment when I realised this, I was sitting in an, in an interview with this very much up-and-coming, multi-million company with a HR um, manager talking about the job and she said how oh there's an expectations of making 40 phone calls a day and then at that point I was like oh hold on a minute I quickly did the maths that's 40 no sorry 80 phone calls a day even worse quickly did the maths that's 80 phone calls a day that's 400 phone calls a week every one of those times I'm phoning up someone with the hope of getting a yes with the hope of saying yeah we want that product and then actually when you think about it, that could potentially be 40 sorry, 80 times a day when I get a no and put the phone down. I know some of you probably lovely people have never done that to the wonderful um, sort of cold callers in the middle of the evening calling up at really awkward times. But actually, if you are in sales, my hat goes off to you because I don't know how I could face the level of rejection that is often faced. But the thing is, that notion of being rejected isn't something that's just, okay, it's just a sales problem. I think actually as a, as a species, as men and women, we struggle with this whole concept of being rejected. I can remember uh, the night when I proposed to Susie. I can remember being in the restaurant. I had it all planned out. And at the back of my mind, the only thing I could think about was, what if she says no? What if she says no? What, what would happen next? How would I cope? This fear of being rejected over and over again. And actually, during the meal, Susie, at one point, I have no idea how it came up in the conversation. She said to me, you do realise if you ask me to marry me, I will say yes. <laughs> but the thing was, I still couldn't quite get it into my head. I can remember going into the bathroom, splashing myself with water and giving myself a bit of a pep talk to try and calm myself down in order to pop the question. Okay, that's the big fear of being rejected on something that's quite life-changing. But actually, it's more and more common in every day than you think. I used to work with the marketing team and got on very well with the social media executive. And she would constantly tell me of a friend and complain about her in a way, who whenever they would go out, they would go out for a meal, it would come out, the waiter would take it out. It's like, oh, very nice meal. Get her phone out, take a photograph of it, put it, on in, put it on Instagram, put it down again. 
three minutes later, pick it back up again. Oh, I didn't get that many likes. Delete that photo. And she did it because she felt that because she didn't get the amount of likes she had in such a short period of time, that actually she just felt rejected. And actually, uh, that's quite a small thing. But actually, in a room this size, I bet there's a number of you here think that actually how that feeling of being rejected has impacted either yourself or um, someone you love in such a huge way that it's kind of shaped your life. I don't know how many of you have seen the film Rocket Man. It tells a story, the kind of true life story of Elton John. And one of the claims that film makes is that because of the rejection Elton felt from his father at an early age, it kind of led him down to a path in some serious struggles with addiction. We, it's something that rejection does have a huge impact on us. And the more I've looked at this, the more I see that as a society, we are having our lives shaped around this question. What do I have to do not to be rejected. You couple that with the other big question our society is forcing us to ask ourselves on who am I, you can see that actually that question really does shape us. But it just doesn't shape us in terms of how we relate to one another. But actually it can also shape us in terms of how we relate to God. We can sometimes feel like, oh, what do I need to do not to be rejected by God? Do I have to do this? Do I have to do X, Y, and Z? What hoops do I have to jump through? And you'll be kind of pleased to hear that actually we're not the only ones that have dealt with this sort of issue, as we'll see in sort of today's passage. From where we got to, and this point of uh, John's Gospel, is Jesus has fed the 5,000, and he's kind of, the night has come, and he goes across to a different part of the town. Everyone wakes up and see, oh, where's Jesus? Where is Jesus? And go looking for him. And they eventually find him. And they have this conversation with Jesus. And at one point in the conversation, um, they ask this question in verse, uh, typical lost it, in verse 28. Then they said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? In other words, from their perspective, because they've got, the Jews had this whole view of actually, if I do these things, I'll be blessed by God. If I do these things, I'll be cursed by God. They're asking very much, what do I need to do not to be rejected by God? And Jesus answers them. And he says something very profoundly in verse 37. I'll read from there. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last days. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. I'm just going to really be spending the majority of this morning focusing on that last part of verse 37, where it says, all who comes to me, uh, and whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. The first thing I want to point out is the first part. Jesus says to come, to come to me. Now, a couple of weeks ago, me and Susie decided to go up to Cambridge for the day. 
and whilst we're in this great city, thought, you know what, let's be ultra culture, cultured, let's go to a museum. And so we went to this museum, sort of thinking, oh, it's a museum, it says it's free on the website, should be fine. And we went up there, and there was a member of staff, and he said, have you got a booking? We kind of looked at each other and said, oh, didn't know we needed to have a booking. Is it okay if we still come in? And he just said, no, completely full. You have to have a booking. Bye. And we went off. And actually, as people, we have been so used to living with restrictions, haven't we? It was only, God, it's coming up to probably an anniversary when we went into another lockdown where we were restricted on how often we could leave our house to go anywhere. Even some of you might sort of even remember the pain it was to queue up to go into a supermarket because of the fact that the supermarkets were restricting on how many people could go in. And even now, if I want to go into uh, the office where I have, want to work, I have to make sure I have no COVID symptoms, book a desk in a very small area of the office and actually hope no one else has booked it. We are constantly in this, we've been kind of forced and shaped to live a life full of restrictions, haven't we? But this is completely different to what Jesus says. Jesus says here to come, whoever comes to me. He says that there is no hoop to jump through. He doesn't say, oh, whoever comes to me without a COVID symptom. He doesn't say any of that. He just invites you to come. And what's more amazing is when you think about it, it's not so much the notion that we can come to Jesus, but actually, it's who we're coming to. Now, I'm going to be honest and put my hand up and say, I am a bit of a fan of the Queen. I think the Queen is rather awesome. hope she gets better soon. Um, but she's done an amazing job for the country and what she does. And I mean, if you've looked at the speech that she gave her son to read at the General Synod, it's like, oh, the Queen's pretty awesome. And so I thought, you know, what do I need to do to meet the Queen? Meeting the Queen would be quite nice. So I thought, hmm, where do I go for this sort of answer? Ah, of course, the answer of life, the universe and everything. Google. And so I Googled away. And I came, found out that actually there were a couple of ways I could go and meet the Queen. The first was to become a knight or MBE or something like that. Uh, that's not going to happen anytime soon. And the second was to become Prime Minister. That is definitely not going to come anytime soon. But, so there's all these restrictions to meet our head of state. And yes, she is great. But when you think about it, the Queen doesn't have that much power, does she? She ultimately, she doesn't tell government what to do. She just signs off what they've asked her to sign off without battering an eyelid, really. She's more, she has this power and authority based not on her actual power, but actually more out of tradition, out of this institution of the royal family that we have. But this is completely different with Jesus, isn't it? As Emma reminded us this morning, Jesus is completely mighty, forever mighty. He, is, he has authority well and truly, but more than the queen. As it says, let me read out in Colossians chapter 1. For he... This is Jesus we're talking about, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones 
like the queens, or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. This is the one that we can come freely to. That's my first point. But the second point is something even more amazing. And it's this. Jesus says that I will never cast you out. And we see this time and time again throughout the Gospels, that Jesus doesn't cast anyone out. Jesus doesn't cast out children. So, some of you might be familiar with the story, but there was a time when a whole load of children wanted to go and see Jesus. But the disciples decided to, no, children can't, go, shoo, shoo. And in their minds, actually, they were doing what society was kind of expecting them to do. Because from their perspective and mind, cultural framework, Jesus was very important. The children, not so much. And on top of that, because of how children sort of grew up, they would be running around from town to town, place to place. And of course, talking along the way. And you never know what information, information and news and stuff might get accidentally spread. And so from the disciples' perspective, they weren't just doing it from a status perspective, but also they were thinking of Jesus' integrity. They were thinking of actually, we don't want any bad words to come about Jesus. But Jesus says, no, he rebukes the disciples. He tells them off and say, yes, the children can come to me. I value them. I want to be, show all of I am to them. I won't cast them away. Jesus doesn't cast out children. There's another story uh, earlier on in John's Gospel where Jesus is at a well in the middle of the day in a place called Samaria and a woman comes up to him. Now, the original hearers would have had alarm bells going off threefold. One, Jesus is talking to the, a woman. Now, we don't think much of it because we just kind of rightfully see men and women as equal. But back then, in a patriarchal culture where they view actually men as more important than women, this is crazy. To make it worse, they elevated Jesus because they saw him as a rabbi, as a teacher, so someone of authority. And he's talking to this woman. But Jesus doesn't do anything about it. He just treats her as an equal, something completely countercultural in the time, and has a really deep theological conversation with her. That's the first thing that would have gone, oh, hello, something's wrong here. The second thing was that this woman was a Samaritan. Now, we don't, probably don't quite get the historical significance here, but the best way that I've come across to try and describe this to you is if you think of Harry Potter. Some of you might be familiar with the story and the fact that you've got one of the big baddies of the series, Draco Malfoy. He comes from a, what's known in the sort of universe as a pure-blood family, someone who's from a wizarding family. His parents are wizards, their parents are wizards, etc., etc. But in the story, he looks down upon Hermione Granger, who is one of the goodies, but also is the fact that she is a muggle-born, so she is from a non-wizarding family. Her parents weren't wizards. She's the first wizard of the generations. And it, there's this, because of the sense of actually Draco Malfoy looking down and saying, oh, disgusting mudblood, it's that same sort of nature that's going on here. 
the Jews, because they see themselves as pure Jews, look down upon the, the Samaritans and saying, oh, you're not worth our time. Look down on you. But Jesus, a Jew, respects this woman completely and utterly countercultural. He doesn't cast her out because she's a woman or because she's a Samaritan. And to make it more of an alarm bell, the third alarm bell that would have gone off is the fact that this woman had to come to get water at the middle of the day. Back then, middle of the day, it would be hot. And actually, you would have to be pretty desperate to go out and get water when it was in the middle of the day because you'd be alone. You wouldn't be pointed out. Pointed out. You wouldn't have gossip said about you. You wouldn't be treated differently. Because this woman, as it talks about during the passage, is, has had five husbands. And the man that she's currently living with isn't her husband. And there's that huge stigma that has been put on this woman and that has caused her to be cast out from society. Got to Jesus. Jesus treats her as an equal. Jesus didn't cast her out. Jesus also didn't cast out tax collectors. Now, okay, we're probably not huge fans of HMRC around here, but back then, to be a tax collector, you'd be seen as a traitor. It was even said as a bit of an insult about Jesus to, um, by the Pharisees. Because sort of thing, oh, he's eating with tax collectors. Ugh. And that's because of the kind of context of the day. Because Israel was occupied by the Romans, the tax collectors were generally Israelites who would be very much just keep taking money from their people, giving it to what they would have seen as the enemy. It's... And so it's this completely different kind of worldview, in a sense. The Pharisees, it's like, oh, we don't like the Romans. Tax collectors, mm, we've got to live with it. Kind of could see, see it as a leavers and remainers, couldn't you? You could see it as right side of politics and left side of politics. You could, in, a, in our society, where actually we are so divided on different perspectives, you could put those... See, it's two different camps on whatever. But the truth is, Jesus is like, yeah, I'm not going to cast him out. I'm going to treat him as an equal. It's interesting that actually in his inner 12, there was a tax collector called Matthew, but also there was a guy called Simon the Zealot who was so anti-Rome. It was probably amazing that Simon and Matthew didn't kill each other during um, the times that they spent with Jesus. But that's just Jesus saying, you know what, I, I'm not going to cast out anyone from that perspective. Jesus also didn't cast out lepers as well. Leprosy is this really nasty sort of skin defect, uh, infection that actually back then, if you touched someone, you'd have got it. And if you'd got it, you'd be cast out from society. You'd be sort of living away from everyone else, seen as a bit of a disgrace. No one wants to touch you. No one wants to be near you because you've got leprosy. Not Jesus. Jesus goes out to them. Jesus touches them. Touches these people that would have been seen as unclean, filthy. He doesn't. He loves them. He touches them. In one, um, sort of, one of the Greek words used in this story is actually embraced. It talks about hugging them. Jesus didn't cast out the lepers, the outcasts of society. 
And you know what's more amazing? I keep on saying that how Jesus doesn't cast us out. But I don't know if you notice something about what it said in the rest of the passage, how he was doing the will of the Father. Because I think sometimes when we look at the Bible, we can kind of see it like a game of football, can't you? A book of two halves. You can see it's, oh, Jesus, we like him. He's all cuddly. He is love. Oh, God of the Old Testament, no, he's angry. He's wrathful. He's vengeance. Jesus shows mercy. God in the Old Testament shows justice, shows anger. And we can treat the way we read the biblical story kind of like this. We can see Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden sort of being cast out by God because they did something wrong. We can see the Israelites wandering around the wilderness for an additional 40 years because they did something wrong and were cast out by God. We can see it as we look at the kings. We can think, oh, the good kings, they did what was right. They did what was right by God. The bad kings, mm, no, they did bad. They, because of who they were, God rejected them. We can view the whole biblical narrative like that. But that's not what Jesus is saying. We've got it, if, you've, if we view it like that, we've got it completely wrong. Adam and Eve didn't do something wrong and got cast out by God. Adam and Eve were the ones that rejected God and as a result bore the consequence. The Israelites, they made a golden calf to worship instead of God. They were the ones that rejected God, not the other way around. The good kings of the Old Testament, they were good because they pursued God. The bad kings, they were the ones that rejected God. And actually, we see this to its completion in the life of Jesus, don't we? Jesus was seen as one who was rejected by his people. He was rejected by the Israelites and as a result, was put on the cross. God himself incarnate was rejected by man. But this is the amazing thing. It is through the rejection of the son that leads us to the acceptance of the father. It is because of Jesus bearing our, the rejection that we put onto him, the, our sin that allows us to come to the father and he will never cast us out because of it. Jesus will not cast us out. It is, this is the beauty of the gospel. Jesus died. Jesus took on our rebellion, our rejection of God to take our place, to bear the consequence that we rightfully deserve and gain what we truly don't deserve, which is access to the Father. I'm going to sort of come into land if the band could come up and just say, actually... What I've just been talking about for the last, I don't know how long I've been talking, is something that's great to know. But actually, we can't just know this. We need to find comfort in this. We need to celebrate in this. And so I think there's three groups of people here this morning. The first are those people who need to come to him for the first time. Jesus invites us all to come to him. And if you're someone who's not a follower of Jesus, who say, actually, I don't know Jesus, there's an invitation for you to come to him. And if that is you this morning, can I just ask and just sort of say, 
can you just speak, if you're feeling challenged by what I've said, please speak to myself, speak to someone else you've seen at the front, maybe Don, and just ask, can I just learn more about Jesus? We'd love to support you wherever you are on your journey to get to know him. That's the first group of people. The second are those people who need to really find comfort in this. Some of you maybe have been listening to what I've been saying about how Jesus doesn't cast us out and think, yeah, that may be true for you, but that can't be true for me. You don't know what I haven't done. You don't know my sin. You might be thinking to yourself, you don't know all the things I've done wrong and think to yourself that God can't be wanting to to come anywhere near to you. That if God was, if you were to come to God, that you'd feel that he would cast you out. And can I lovingly tell you, brothers and sisters, if that is you, that is completely wrong. The Puritan pastor, Richard Sibbs, once said that there is more mercy in Christ than there is sin in us. That there is more love, more grace in Jesus than there is in anything that we could do wrong. You might be thinking to yourself this morning, oh, I feel like Jesus can't start with me until I've sorted this thing out. The truth is, if you're feeling like that, it's not a sign that Jesus can't start with you. It's a sign that Jesus hasn't finished with you yet. And if that is you this morning, can I just invite you just to... Just, I'm going to ask you to do something really brave, if that is you, if that is something you are struggling with. Then can I just ask you to go and just speak to a friend, someone you're sitting next to, a community group leader, an elder of the church. And all I just want to say is just seven simple words. This is me. Please pray with me. You don't need to go into details. I think one of the things we need to remember is in this society where we're constantly comparing ourselves to one another, that actually we can see, sometimes accidentally see church as a catwalk of holiness, sort of looking at one another and thinking, oh, that person's holier than me. I can't speak to them. They don't get me. That is completely wrong. That's the wrong way of looking at church. Church is, we are all patients in here, wanting to see the great doctor, which is Jesus. So if that is you, please pray with someone. And the third thing, and the third challenge is for you to celebrate in this, but also be commissioned by it. Now, celebrate, yes, we need to celebrate this. Sometimes we completely forget this truth that actually we can come to Jesus and he won't cast us off. We can forget about it so easily and we need to be reminded about it and celebrate it. But also we've got to remember we've been commissioned by it. I said that Jesus never cast out people. I didn't say he didn't send people away. There's this time when Jesus sort of sees this man who has been filled with demons and he, he casts him out of all these demons, out of this man. And just as this man enters the, tries to enter the boat with Jesus so that they can go, um, go off to the next destination, Jesus says, no, I'm going to send you into your town to point to me. He hasn't been cast away. He's been commissioned. He's been given a purpose. And that is the same with us. We are to reflect who Jesus is to our society, to those people we see at the school gates, see, bump into it in the town centre. We're supposed to show 
Jesus, the fact that he doesn't cast out. That he doesn't cast out, the fact that Jesus doesn't cast out because of social background, that's the same with us. We should show Jesus' love to them. It doesn't matter if you're anti-vax or pro-vaccinations. Jesus doesn't cast them out. Why should you? We are called to reflect Jesus, not, I'm going to say this, not as a way to earn God's love, because we can never earn God's love any more than we already do. But actually, as an act of worship, reflecting the one who does not cast us out. Now, let me pray. Father, I just thank you that through Jesus we see your heart, that in this passage that we see Jesus' heart itself, he will never cast us out. Thank you for the reassurance that is, that we can come to Jesus, to you, the God of the universe, and know that he will not reject us, that he will not cast us out. I just pray that we would be people who would just know this, who would find comfort in this truth and celebrate it in it, Lord. I just pray that you'll be with us as we live this truth out um, this week, Lord.